Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Lifestyle Podcast for Older Adults. I'm Merlin Freno, and with me is Harry Clibbins. And on this week's episode, we'll be discussing Alzheimer's and its associated dementias, alongside the societal responses to this burgeoning disease. How much do you actually know about the disease? Have you been directly affected or experienced it firsthand, perhaps? Do you have a fear of developing it yourself? And if so, do you know of any physical activity interventions proposed by contemporary research and healthcare practitioners alike to prevent, postpone, or even improve the quality of life for those suffering with this neurodegenerative condition? If these are some of the questions you've thought about, you're in the right place, because today we'll be focusing on the complexities of physical activity, its benefits, what's placing an emphasis on the efficacy, feasibility, and acceptability of strategies. Don't worry, you won't have to listen to us arguing the whole podcast like normal as later we'll be speaking to some healthcare professionals to gain further insight into what's happening right now. But firstly, let's get to know a little bit about dementia. I did some digging on the subject Merlin and found the World Alzheimer's Report. Go on, what did you find? So they found that over 50 million people worldwide are living with dementia. Seriously? Wow, that's a really scary number. And didn't I read that that is only going to increase? Yeah. They believe the number is set to double every 20 years, so that by 2050, the figure is likely to stand at around 152 million people living with dementia. The number of deaths related to dementia is just as frightening. I found that between 2000 and 2016, the amount of dementia-related deaths rose by nearly 50% and is the fifth leading cause of deaths globally. That's really bad and worrying. Does this also have a negative impact on society? Significant ones. The cost of dementia in the UK is set to double in the next 25 years, from £26 billion to £55 billion. But, on a brighter note, if the onset of dementia was delayed by roughly five years, we as a society would save £22.2 billion per year by 2050. That's good to know. But what's even better is the increased recognition it's getting due to these societal costs, with a growing willingness to re- fund research and find new treatments, apply new medicines and intervention techniques to ultimately attest its prevalence in society. Is this solely down to people just getting older? Or are there any other reasons behind this rapid increase of people suffering from the disease with increased societal costs? The World Alzheimer's Report also found that people have a high fear of developing dementia. However, true understanding of it is in fact very low. So can you please enlighten us? Well, that's interesting you say that. As the world population today has a greater proportion of older people, with the World Health Organization demographic projections showing that this trend is set to continue. Take the dementia for example. A person's risk rises from 1 in 14 from over the age of 65 to 1 in 6 over the age of 80. So what you're saying is we're living longer lives but as a consequence we're also contending with greater disability challenges later in life. Why is that the case? Is it down to lifestyle choices or are we genetically predisposed to get it? It's all about lifestyle. Genes that directly cause dementia only account for 1% of cases. This information really raises key questions. How can we live longer, happier and healthier lives? It's not all bad news though. 
we ourselves can impact our health longevity and achieve better functioning in advancing age. There is many ways in which we can help. And even though there is no cure for Alzheimer's and its associated dementias, there's lots of contemporary research out there, including the Lancet Commission, who identified several modifiable risk factors which prevent or delay 40% of dark dementia cases, with academics highlighting that sedentary lifestyle is a key risk factor, labelling sitting as the new smoke. So what you're saying is the use of physical activity interventions should be explored as a potential pathway for decreasing the risk of dementia. Exactly, especially for those with mild cognitive impairment who are described as individuals with an increased risk of developing dementia. But not only that, it also helps people with dementia by improving outcomes for those already diagnosed, with studies showing an improvement in this population's physical, mental and social well-being. So in essence, the message we're trying to get across is that it's never too early or too late to address the risks through modifying our behaviour, and even small changes can make a real difference to our health, life expectancy, but most importantly our quality of life. Exactly. So everyone listening, please, please do take note. So on top of that, and what's really good news, is that 40% of people said that they would adopt a healthier lifestyle to reduce the risk of developing dementia, including taking part in physical activity. So are you one of those people? On top of that, carers said that they would be willing to implement physical activity into a dementia patient's routine. But what do we actually mean by physical activity and what are the recommended guidelines for older adults? Collectively, it describes any bodily movement produced by skeletal muscles that requires energy expenditure, calling for older adults to engage in 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity per week, supplemented with functional balance and strength training on three or more of these days. Right, okay, but how many people actually meet these guidelines? That's the thing, only 20% of men and 17% of women aged 65 to 74 achieve the recommended guidelines, with further reductions to 9% in men and 6% in women aged 75 and above. Do you or your peers meet the recommended guidelines? This inactivity is especially pertinent in dementia patients, with research highlighting a high prevalence of sedentary behaviour. As a result, we wanted to find out what the best regional and national interventions, policies, initiatives and programmes were to reduce this inactivity within this population. What challenges do they face? What new methods have been proposed? How can we provide meaningful, safe and effective ways to increase activity and decrease dementia. Okay, okay, but here's a question. What's the acceptability, feasibility and efficacy of these different interventions which clinicians describe as critical to consider? Whoa, 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 hold your horses. We're just getting started. We'll come on to that later on. But first, let's find out what's happening right now through an interesting conversation I had with Chief Pharmacist and Head of Medicines Management at Derbyshire Community Health Services, the NHS, Anna Braithwaite. Thank you for inviting me to take part in this podcast. It's important to say there's much better recognition and management of patients now with dementia. 
than when I first started working. In the NHS, in the 1990s and 1980s, the use of a chemical cosh to manage behaviour was fairly routine. Now, staff receive training to help understand dementia and how best to support and treat patients and their families. Access to help and support and education about dementia and understanding behaviours and developing strategies on how to engage with patients is essential, especially for carers. As the disease progresses, round-the-clock care may be needed. There is no one-size-fits-all. People have to be treated as individuals, but social interaction, mental stimulation, good nutrition and exercise are key. Medication can help improve concentration in some individuals at the start of the disease, but there is no cure. Music therapy is really beneficial for patients. Patients with dementia often enjoy clapping and singing along to the music and doing simple exercises. I have personal experience um, and I can see how beneficial it is. Wow, Nelly, that sounded like a really interesting conversation. I noticed that she said, as it progresses, round-the-clock care is needed. What does this mean to the problems they face in participating safely in physical activity? Well, even though exercise has been found to be beneficial for people with dementia, it's extremely important to consider their safety when the disease progresses, and also that the activities prescribed are safe. The activities prescribed are safe. Well, Merlin, as the disease progresses, patients suffer from memory loss, have difficulty concentrating, mood swings, and the inability to complete everyday tasks like participating in their hobbies, like walking, they can't eat, and struggle communicating, with research highlighting dementia patients face twice as many physical barriers as motivators for physical activity. Wow, that's bad. But it's not all bad news. With doctors and physiotherapists suggesting modifications to exercise prescription, including wearing medical alert bracelets for outdoor activities, the use of identifiable clothing and or documentation, the use of weights machines rather than dumbbells that can be dropped, and most notable is that of seated exercise, all of which with careful supervision of course. On a brighter note, there are motivators within formal and informal settings, with social interaction and mental stimulation being highlighted by Anna, alongside the use of preferable physical activity options, in com including a combination of exercise with music, singing, clapping and dancing. So what we've described there are some of the motivators and barriers, but Merlin, if I was suffering from dementia or I knew someone that was, do you know where I could find any additional information or support? Well, Harry. I've done some more digging and found some useful national and local schemes that you guys might find interesting, including Dementia for Friends, The Unfurlings, and Digging for Memories and Growing Stories, voluntary schemes to connect sufferers, carers, and healthcare practitioners alike, identifying additional motivators and barriers, while calling attention to the importance of physical exposure and exercise. Another useful initiative is the Dementia Services Development Centre, and Physical Activity Health Alliance, who provides up-to-date information. So please, please do go check it out. For those of you still with us, we keep mentioning physical activity. It is so important to get active, eat well, and engage in social activities that promote and protect good brain health. That's right, Harry. All of those things you mentioned there 
reduce the risk of dementia and forestall disease progression. We do want you guys to remember that interventions to increase physical activity in dementia patients are highly problematic as achieving behaviour change and participation is notoriously difficult. If you remember earlier Harry, you mentioned acceptability, feasibility and efficacy. That is right. Are you finally going to explain to everyone what they are? I am indeed. For an intervention to be acceptable, it needs to be tailored and specific to an individual's need, age and stage of the disease for the best benefit and uptake. Because like Anna said, no one size fits all. A key factor when addressing physical activity in older adults. For it to be feasible, the intervention needs to be achievable, realistic, practical and sustainable to enable the increased engagement and continued participation. Finally, with efficacy, what people need to know is how successful the programme is in improving quality of life and reducing dementia. But additionally, how can the self-confidence and self-efficacy of different types of activity influence this uptake? This behaviour change should begin at early stages of life, as previously mentioned, but benefits of exercise are still achievable in later years. So that's really good news that you can still reap the benefits of exercise no matter how late you are to the party. To add to that, we now know that researchers, carers and academics are turning to increasingly creative ways to provide exercise at both national and local levels. But how good actually are they? So, the first intervention I found was Couch Potato for Cognition, a local and collaborative scheme proposed here at Loughborough University in 2016, calling for people to perform about 30 minutes of various seated banded exercise, including tummy rotations, straight arm pulls, leg press and crossover pull, twice per week in accordance with government guidelines. That sounds good, but can you elaborate on the more specific details of this programme? Yes, of course. To begin, they are advised to complete the exercise once with a gradual progression to 10 to 12 repetitions, interspersed with 60 to 90 seconds of rest between each set or exercise. On critical analysis, it is clear that it is tailored specifically to dementia patients by aiming to tackle the decline in cognitive and physical well-being. In accordance with previous research, reporting resistance training is beneficial to provide this effect. It's good to see that this intervention is tailored to the age and stage of the disease with inclusivity of all, for those with mild conditions to those with complex problems who are quite often chair-bound. This is also evident with the different grading of resistance bands, with progression from yellow of light resistance to black of heavy resistance. But how practical is it? In respect of safety, participants will require supervision, as with all banded exercise as there's a risk of the band causing physical harm or injury. I know from previous experience this can really hurt. In addition, people have problems with gripping as the disease progresses, proposing an issue to its sustainability. How fun can you say this programme is? Don't you think it may become tedious and repetitive? Yes, that's another issue of this programme, sustainability and continued participation. However, the motivations of increased physical functioning, with research finding benefits to walking, climbing stairs, standing from a chair and daily activities, which may eliminate such effects if provided with the correct information and education. On summary, this intervention proposes some really good ways to tackle inactivity in an acceptable, feasible and ethical way but not without its downfalls. Could it be improved? Let's compare it to another intervention first. 
I found a multi-fitness program that looked at the effects that activities of daily living and exercise training had on patients with dementia, with a parallel randomised control trial investigating its effects. Can you explain what this intervention consisted of? Yes, yeah, so basically they prescribed walking and movements of exercises for activities of daily living, and lightly weighted dumbbell activities such as seated tricep curls, bicep curls, chest press and lateral raises for the upper body, and standing exercises like squats and calf raises for the lower body for exercise training. Wow, that's really interesting that it uses free weights. That really raises key questions about the feasibility and acceptability though. I agree. From a safety standpoint, I think the use of weights is problematic, especially for those with more severe impairments, which could cause injury, further increasing everyday inactivity whilst decreasing any form of physical activity. However, the similar use of seated exercises proposes a solution. Additionally, this study found a reduced compliance rate of exercise training compared to activities of daily living training from 68% to 55%. However, on the flip side, the large variability of exercise selection tackles the varying severity of the disease, with those suffering from milder conditions having a potential means to in engage in a meaningful, non-restrictive exercise. It also prevents it being acceptable to all, with a lack of facilities in non-formal settings, including freeways. The prescription of outdoor walking in this informal setting is also problematic, as supervision is required, as previously mentioned. But how successful was it? It's interesting you say that, Merlin, because surprisingly they found exercise training only benefited grip strength, with activities of daily living training benefiting executive function, physical endurance and reducing depression. However, without methodological flaws, the population ranged from 71 to 100, so those 70 and under suffering with dementia cannot directly infer from this intervention. In addition, one outcome measure was physical endurance, with patients being asked to perform a six-minute timed walk, raising issues with motivational effects. Another innovative way to tackle this inactivity, as Anna previously mentioned, was the use of musical interventions and music therapy, especially from their era and supplemented with dancing and clapping. This is supported by a recent study in which music interventions increased physical activity when compared to a control group. So for the improvement of the proposed interventions, future perspectives could consider looking into the combination of the two. In essence, we have learned from this podcast a range of methods to improve physical activity with seated exercise and supervised walking and activities of daily living being the most successful and most prevalent in contemporary literature. On a final note, I want to touch upon the recent impact of COVID-19 and how this has directly affected care homes and the subsequent impact on dementia patients, with lockdowns resulting in a curtailment in social and physical activities, with a decrease in physical, social and mental well-being as a direct consequence of increased loneliness, isolation and lack of physical participation. It is clear now, more than ever, the importance of physical activity and hopefully Following this awful period, it will bring about an urgent focus to its importance. And with that, increased government funding, collaboration and cooperation to implement acceptable, feasible and ethical interventions at national and local levels in both formal and informal settings. Right, that's it for this week. We want to thank you guys for listening. We hope you found it informative and enjoyable. Join us on next week's episode where we will be diving into physical activity interventions for older adults suffering from cardiovascular disease. If anyone out there has any questions, feel free to email us at merlinandharry at thelifestylepodcast.co.uk. And yes, that's our actual email. All the good ones were taken. 
Until then, see you next week.